0: From HRCI and the Shift Collective, this is Inevitable, The Future of Work, a podcast devoted to everyone striving to be their best and to activate the best in others. Your investment in listening to this podcast needs to be worth it, so we have conversations with carefully selected guests that reveal what you need to know and be able to do to accelerate and elevate critical contributions and outcomes in the ever-changing world in which we live and work. Change is inevitable. Progress is optional. By preparing to be an activator by listening today, you've chosen progress. On this episode of Inevitable, We talk with Joe Fold, the founder and CEO of The Campaign Workshop, an advocacy and political consulting firm. We wanted to have Joe on because his expertise aligns exactly with where so many businesses and organizations find themselves today, with the heated environment in which you're either right or you're wrong on pretty much any issue. How do you, as a business leader, chart your course and engage your people in a productive, not a destructive way, and engage your audience in a constructive, not destructive way. Joe's counsel on this is so insightful and straightforward that essentially centers around this idea. People are going to assume you have a position even when you don't declare one, so you may as well pick an approach and own it. And the more sincerely positioned you are, the more people will respect you, even when they don't agree. What I found particularly fascinating about this conversation is that their central premise as a business is to help connect with audiences and move them to action. And this is precisely what leaders need to be doing internally. So Joe's expertise as an advocate is matched with his experience as a business owner, especially one who's guided his company successfully through the pandemic. In fact, very successfully, making changes that I know in speaking with Joe, he didn't imagine they would take or that the company could endure prior to the pandemic, like having people work from anywhere, a topic that he addresses in our conversation. So what we set out to do was expanded at least by twofold in value by the reality that everything that Joe talks about from an advocacy perspective in terms of how one would present itself, how one would present his or her organization publicly applies to the internal workings of the business at least as much. So you're getting two for the price of one with Joe Fold from the campaign workshop. Listen, this is Jeff Lesher, and you are back in the room for another episode of Inevitable, the future of work. And I, as always, am joined by Corissa Peterson. Hi, Corissa. Hello, Jeff. How are you? I am doing well. And we are very fortunate today to have a friend of the program, Joe Fold, who is the founder of the Campaign Workshop, uh, with us today. And we asked Joe to be a part of our conversation because advocacy, points of view, uh, social equity, and and the whole mean of how we relate to others or don't is is critical. It's critical for businesses. It's critical for people. It's it's not just a business issue. It's not just a social issue. And. When we were talking to Joe about what his company, Campaign Workshop, does, and I'm going to have him talk about it in more detail in a moment, he said that principally what we do is, is help you as an organization or a cause reach an audience and move that audience to action. And the funny thing about that is that's the job of leaders uh, that's the job of managing other people and, and and so that's that's what we talk about all the time and and that really resonated so joe welcome thank you for being with us on inevitable how are you
1: oh so happy to be here uh, uh jeff i'm a and course i'm a fan of the program and i'm a fan of jeff jeff and i have uh were part of a entrepreneur organization together we've done stand-up comedy together so uh you know and jeff is always Funnier than me, so I am always <laughs> happy to share a stage with him. It's it's good competition. So uh, happy to be on the show. And the one thing I'll start with saying is, I do think you know leadership in the workplace is so important and is something that sometimes is not given as much credit as it needs to have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that
0: regular listeners of the podcast are wondering, so when is Jeff going to be funny on the podcast if he's so funny? (laughs) So I I don't know. I'm under a lot of pressure. But I I, I will say, and we've we've mentioned it in passing a couple of times, that this stand-up comedy experience that we had, which is a, a program all in itself, was an amazing experience. And part of it actually relates, I think, to... That bit of communication, how we activate an audience, just how do you get to the joke is really no different than how do you get to the point? How do you move people to action? So let's start where I, I, I said we might, which is the work that you do has a number of facets and is certainly more complex than I could do it justice. But describe a bit for our Listeners, what what you guys do at the campaign workshop, and then we'll we'll connect that into how businesses can better understand and utilize some of some of what you know.
1: Yeah, well, so um, I started this company a little over ten years ago with the goal to work with groups and organizations as well as progressive candidates running for office. Um, to help them have a clear message, call to action, and move people to do something, whether that is voting, whether that is engaging in their organization that they're a part of, whether it is asking a legislator to pass a bill or not pass a bill, right? Those are all the kinds of challenges that we work on throughout the country. Um, And... You know, so that's what I do on a daily basis. I teach people how to do that as a trainer. And we work with a lot of organizations to train people to be better advocates and to run for office. But we also create advertising that helps move people and engage them.
0: Cool. So, and, and advocacy, All right? How would, you, how would you define advocacy?
1: So the way that I define advocacy is usually around issues, getting to take have people take action on an issue is what I think about when I think about advocacy. So it could be as simple as a wanting a four way stop at my corner. Right, going around and getting my neighbors to sign a petition and saying we need a four-way stop here, and here's why, and here's the safety hazard of it. That's advocacy, right? You want to pass a piece of legislation that, um, you know, that gives people a uh, who've been out of work due to COVID um, extra money. That's an advocacy, right? So it could be any number of things, from small to big. I look at that as getting um, moving an issue forward is advocacy.
0: Yeah, I I lived in a neighborhood for many years where I actually was part of a group that tried to have a four way stop sign installed and it was controversial. And and it made me think, you, you know, in today's moment, it seems like everything is controversial. And I'm reminded of the famous Michael Jordan line that Republicans buy sneakers, too. And since then, at least, there's been a concern about businesses expressing a point of view, much less having a point of view. What's your point of view about whether or not to have a point of view?
1: Well, what I'll say is since that time, we've actually seen like you know, Nike take a lot more of a point of view than sort of back in the day. And and I think that, honestly, that, uh, that customers want folks to take a point of view. They're looking for it. And you've seen or companies and move in that direction of being much clearer politically where they are or much clearer on an issue basis where they stand. And then frankly, then having customers hold them accountable to say, what does that mean, right? So you had a lot of companies join together around BLM, around Black Lives Matter, but didn't really define what that meant. Then you had customers coming back to them saying, that's great that you say this. Now, what does it mean for my community? How are you actually going to take action in my community? So uh, I, I think I am all for companies taking a political stance and an issue stance. But I also think that it can't just be those words. They have to have meaning behind those words. Mm -hmm.
0: So there's a little bit of an old Rush lyric there, which is when you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. And and, and I think it's consistent with something that you've told me before, which is that that the, the people basically expect that you do have a point of view about some issue or, or you know, whether it's go to market or, or whatever. And if you pretend as though you don't, that you're just generally neutral, they're, they're not even buying that. So you know, we, we often will say in the absence of the narrative that you provide, we're usually talking about this from a leadership perspective to an organization, people are going to make up their own story. And it isn't necessarily the one that you want them to have in your heads. So check me on that. I mean, is that a fair uh, sort of representation of, of what your guidance would be, which is people expect you to have a point of view, so you may as well own whatever it is?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's defining the why right it's not just having a point of view but why do you have this point of view why does it matter why is it important for you to take a stance on this issue and um if it's seen, if it is authentic to your business then even if people disagree with you they'll be like oh i get that of course this is why they're taking that stance if it's inauthentic and not Part of who they are, then then both the people you're trying to reach out to and the people you might be offending might reject you because it's not an authentic stance. So I would think about before a company or you as an individual, right, like take a stance on an issue, make sure that it really rings true to you. So I I just want to
0: restate what I think you said, which is, so you can go about this one of two ways. You can either pretend to have it both ways and everybody hates you, or you can at least be clear about what you believe and some people will love you.
1: Well, some people love you and then many people will respect you, right? So if uh, the point what I'm saying is, is that if this is a stance that is authentic to who you are and has meaning, right? Um, you are a like, you know, you are a s- sustainable sneaker company and you decide you're going to give 10 percent of your profits to climate change. You might not be really into climate change, but you love these sneakers. Right. You can say, hey, it makes this makes sense why they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Just have it be really authentic to who you are.
0: When it comes to what your people are thinking and how they're feeling, what you don't know as a leader can hurt you, which is why Shift developed the employee survey that focuses on work environment, connection, and well being. And in recent months, some of the data that's been uncovered that likely is true to very true about your organization includes the percentage of people, about 40, who are working more to significantly more hours since work from home protocols took over in March, that over half are concerned about their overall level of stress and that nearly a third do not have a regular point of connection with their managers. Although when they do, those connections are very positive. What do you not know What's your blind spot that can catch up to you and bite you in the hindquarters? To find out, simply log on to shiftthework.com slash employee-survey. That's shiftthework.com forward slash employee-survey. The survey is free to qualified organizations and you'll get access to a leadership Course and an ebook. Go there now and be better for it. I have a question for you. So- sure.
2: Before I ask, I just need to name that I am not a, a trained comedian. I don't have the um, experience that you and Jeff have. I will do my best to try to be mildly amusing.
0: But uh, but she has worn sneakers on occasion. So there's there's some connection here that we <laughs> Don't
2: have. be telling my, business. my <laughs> business out there like that, Jeff. But Joe, um, so I appreciate, uh, I, I'm so curious about this topic. I'm so excited about today's session. Let's say I am an employee in a company that uh, issues come up, whatever it might be. Goodness knows in 2020, we had so many to choose from. But my company is silent because they've decided that they're not going to take a stand. But I'm I'm in a demographic. We know that many of our, our workforce now believe that, hey, if you aren't a socially active organization, if you don't believe in social justice, heck, I don't want to work there. So how do you deal with the tension between my company is silent on this issue, but I individually want to bring it forward?
1: Well, (laughs) you know, this is uh a I'm sure this is an issue many folks are dealing with right now. I mean, the first thing is, hopefully there's a process within your company to bring these issues forward. And if there's not, then I would suggest creating one, right? Maybe there's a suggestion box. Maybe it's going to your supervisor, or maybe it's going to the president of the company and saying, hey, this is a problem. And here's how I feel and how here's how other coworkers feel. You know, we. what I'll also say is, Sometimes you need to respectfully organize in your in among your coworkers to say, "Hey, you might not have known this, but we feel this way." Right? Sometimes you could get into trouble for doing that. Sometimes that's good trouble, right? Because you need to hold your leaders accountable. Hopefully, you're in a workplace where people um, appreciate that and are like, "All right." we might not have listened to this. We might not have heard this. Now we're going to hear it because our customers might be saying something and our employees might be saying something. And I think often what happens is people don't feel like they have a voice in their workplace, but sometimes they haven't used their voice in the workplace. So it's really thinking through what is the way to do that? And will folks be receptive to that? Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're not. I have found more than more than ever that, you know, if your employer is asking for feedback, give it. Mm. Um, Often what happens is people don't give that feedback. So there is usually a time to do it. And I would say, keep at it. Um, It may not be that they immediately are receptive to it, but it builds over time.
2: So I think inherent in what I'm hearing in your response, Joe, is It's important. The how you you provide this feedback is important, not just that you provide the feedback, but being mindful about how it may land.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think that the way you deliver a message is as important as the message itself. And I think how you think about doing that, it may be that if this is a new issue like that, you know, like. Cornering the CEO when they're not prepared for it might not be the way to do it. But if you've gone to your supervisor and there's somebody at HR that you think is sympathetic or there's an event that is adjacent to this issue that you can have other people, there are ways to build this over time. But I also like as as the person who owns a business, right, I like will often say like. Don't ask a question unless you want an answer, right? So I always, we do surveys, we ask our folks things. And sometimes to be honest, when somebody gives me a response as as a head of a company, like I'm like, oh, you know, this is not where I thought I was going to go. But then I also sit back and I'm like, but it's interesting to hear that these are where my employees want me to go. Yeah. And more often than not, I will, you know, like yield to what they want. Right. And it will allow me a different perspective because I also know that as an owner of a business, I often know what's going on up here at a very high level in my business, but not what is going on. And uh, as the day-to-day operations of the business, so understanding what the customers want and getting real feedback from employees is a gift. And I've learned over time to really embrace it. So, uh, and I feel like. It's like
2: they're reverse mentoring you in a way. So you can look at the issue from a different lens.
1: That's, that's oh, absolutely
0: totally, to, totally what's happening because otherwise Joe would be in in big trouble if somebody wasn't mentoring him. but
2: <laughs> He's I, I, got I that end up career that he can fall back on.
0: <laughs> yeah well, we, there's yeah, so we really need to focus on the campaign workshop. you 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 mentioned that and, and a lot of times we talk to experts in a field like you're an expert in advocacy and we forget, that they're business people too. Yeah. I was reading uh, one of the, the resources you have on your website. I think it's tips for program evaluation, basically how well the effort that you went through worked. And as I was reading this, it to me, it was really case in point of how you would create a, a vision, a strategy, an action plan, and assess your progress against your objectives uh, project wise or organizationally. And it, it caused me to wonder this, Joe, because I, I know in having some conversation with you over time that you learned a lot and changed a lot through the pandemic experience. D- have you found that you brought more of your, your business leadership sensibility into your advocacy or if the advocacy has informed the way in which you're leading your business?
1: It's both. I don't know that I can organically tell you one or the other has had more of a a, a effect. But what I'll say for starters is that when I started the campaign workshop, I had worked for a lot of other people. I had had one business years and years and years ago that I ran that wasn't successful. I then tried again to work for other folks. And what I learned when I started the campaign workshop was I had been trained as a campaign manager, someone who ran advocacy campaigns, someone who was the chief of staff in the New York state legislature, but I had never had formal training as a business owner. So I really sought out mentors and folks and then i also try to model my own behavior as an employee to say what was the thing that drove me the most crazy as an employee was leadership that didn't listen And I was going to try and model to be a better listener and to hear what folks say. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes all the time, right? But I try and learn from those mistakes and use those mistakes as learning opportunities. So one of the things, as Jeff, that you brought up was COVID, right? At the beginning of COVID, um, we had a lot of folks that were on the team, a dozen people that were worried about, are we going to have to go into an office What are we going to do? So the first thing that I did during COVID was redefine our workplace. And I redefined us as a virtual company versus a company that had a work from home policy. So I wanted to take off the table anyone's concern that they had to go into the office during COVID, that they had to come in and, you know, be together and be in a space. I'm like, you now can work from home all the time, whenever you want, as a matter of fact, right, we're going to have you go into the office as rarely as possible. And that was what we did. And, you know, we have an office space that someday maybe we'll use, but we really redefined ourselves as a business. That's one example.
0: Yeah. That's great. You mentioned something before that is related to this in a way, which is, um, how to bring things up with leadership and and i'm wondering i started this the idea of having you on and and this conversation in fact from a you know how would you advise others to create advocacy programs and we'll we'll probably circle back to that but i'm also wondering if you're helping or you should be helping organizations internally with the raising and vetting of topics uh, to Clarissa's earlier question, have you have you done a work along those
1: lines? We have. Like I've, you know, worked with boards, and we've worked with organizations to do sort of board training and work with staff to, you know, have have those difficult conversations. What I'll say is having those conversations for me is a core value and it's part of the core values of our business. You know, it's really, we have a core value that is, you know, have the conversation, especially when it's hard. Right. Mm. So, so that to me is a core value and it's what I believe. And I think one of, one of my favorite business books is called five dysfunctions of a team. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that book one. Really talks about that you know one of those one of the core dysfunctions of the team is like when you're talking past each other and not actually having those conversations and yeah and I think conflict to me is mostly a good thing not a bad thing Um, and uh, I but I think a lot of people are afraid of conflict and define conflict as bad. So I want to redefine that word, right? Because you can have positive conflict.
0: Yeah, I I mean, the definition of any of this stuff is so important, even what what constitutes hard, because in, in Clarissa and my experience, a lot of times people talk about the hard conversation as being the one where I have to provide feedback that is not particularly favorable, that there's some issue that needs to be addressed right away or the person is likely to fail and my challenge to people who struggle to or or try to make any excuse not to have that conversation is would you rather have that conversation or the conversation in which you say today's your last day because for me that would be the harder conversation so even what is hard what when you talk about hard conversations what what's going on what what are the issues that would
1: make them hard well so i will say that <laughs> that is, you know, like a difficult conversation is kind of in the eye of the beholder, right? Some people having any conversation at all is a hard conversation. It's just not how they're wired, right? For some folks, it is like a conversation about money, That's a hard conversation. For others, they're really happy to talk about money. For some people, it's criticism, right, of their work. That's a hard conversation. For some people, they thrive on that and think that's collaboration. So it really depends on the person, on what is hard for them.
2: So Joe, I I totally resonate with your comment. And as I was looking at your website and looking at the work that you do, I was thinking back to the um, amazing year of 2020, a year that was fraught with a global pandemic, record unemployment, and social and racial unrest. And conversations that companies were now having to have being um, challenged by their workforce to have that we could say for years, well, that's all out there. See, that's out there. That's not in here. But those issues came up to our virtual conference room table and pulled up a chair and said, oh, no, 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 we're going to have the conversation. We're living in this politically polarized society right now. People are, are very, very passionate about their views. So how do you balance advocacy work or how do you balance those conversations without them moving into the political realm? How do employers manage that tightrope or do they have to make a stand?
1: So what I'll say is. You know, everything can be defined as political these days, anything you do, whether that is like deciding that because no one is very few people come to the office, we're not going to have coffee anymore. Right. That can be a political (laughs) issue. Right. Or, um, you know, you you name it. So I, I think that employers can't opt out of politics. I think what they have to be again is true to who they are. They have to define what their values are and make sure that people within the company know what the values of the company are. I think sometimes folks have shied away from those hard conversations. I think you got to own it. And I think that allows employers and employees who may slightly differ on an issue to come together, at least to say, hey, we can agree to disagree on this. But here's an issue that we all like care about. Right. Like um, someone on our team, you know, um, you know, had cancer. Right. We're going to do some fundraising around that issue. No one's against cancer. So so it's like finding things that do create common ground on a team and then also saying we're just not going to agree all the time. And sometimes leadership is about taking a stand, knowing that not everyone's going to agree with that stance, but they might respect that stance. Right. Taking
2: A stance, knowing that not everyone is going to agree. Thank you.
0: And again, I think it's. Or or, or, or to your point, I I mean, I I meant to say no one is against fighting cancer versus against (laughs) cancer. But 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 in that, you know, I think there's something telling there, which is if if we if we're devoted to lifelong learning, for example, uh, that's part of our value system. Probably no one's going to be against that, at least no one that you would want to employ in the first place. How they go about the learning, what they choose to learn, that can vary. And there's a point at which you probably need to construct a parameter, but you're you're not being controversial merely based on the value. You know there, there's some point in it so that we can better X, right? And I think that's what you're positioning people to do here, which is let's go after the things, if, if we not, you know, we can't necessarily agree on every element of it, but at least the the purpose of the effort or the outcome of the effort is something that we can agree on.
1: That's right. I, I and and I honestly think there's so many issues that affect our community. If you decide as a company that there's things that you want to have an impact on, you can find something to work on as a team that your team agrees is important to work on. And I think that it's honestly a cop-out to say everything is too political and we can't. Right.
2: So, of course, we also live in a world where we we fancy ourselves for measuring things with metrics and scorecards and all kinds of fun things. Joe, is there an advocacy metric? How do we know when it's working? What's it look and feel like?
1: Well, I, I... There's probably, there's not one, but there are many, right? The ways that you can judge. I mean, first of all, I think just like in a corporate program, you want to think about, you want to vision what success looks like. What is, what is impact? What is the impact that you want to have? So let's say you as a company decide that um, one of the things that you want to work on is that you live in an area that, uh, um, that, um, I don't know, that you're trying to have impact on schools and that you're gonna have volunteers from your office participate in a reading program or participate in a mentorship program. And so how many kids did you mentor? How many kids through that mentorship program stuck with the program, stayed in school? How many of your your employees participated in the mentorship program? How many hours did you give, right? Those are all ways that you can judge impact. And, and I think it is so important for you to think have a vision for we're gonna donate a hundred hours and then be able to like have a like you know like a leaderboard that has people's names of how many hours they gave, make it be a competition, have a thermometer that ticks away with the number of hours. that allows you to show impact.
0: Hey activators. Don't forget to get your copy of Thrive, The Leader's Guide to Building a High-Performance Culture. This book by Andrew Friedman is an Amazon bestseller for a reason. It gives you the blueprint you need to create and sustain a roadmap to high performance and the efficient learning to make sure that everybody in your critical roles knows what they need to know and is able to do what they need to be able to do to perform at the highest level. Thrive. You can find it, buy it on thrive.shiftthework.com or at amazon.com. That's Thrive, the Amazon bestseller at amazon.com or at thrive.shiftthework.com. As an activator, you not only need your copy, you probably need to buy one for somebody else. So the this idea of, of advocacy, taking a, a position, is there like, I guess what I'm struggling with is where do we go from? You, you, you alluded to this before, and I guess I'm just looking for some help in, in making it actionable, if not making it real. So I'm an advocate on behalf of Black Lives Matter or diversity, equity and inclusion that I'm understanding better. And of course, and I've had some conversations with people uh, about what this means from their perspective. But then what, is, what does that really mean? What am I what am I doing? One of the guests that we had a, a few months ago Works with uh, startup enterprises and investment in them. and then there's something like thirty billion dollars that was pledged to support minority owned businesses. And as he wondered out loud, when are they going to start signing the checks? so so wh- wh- where you know where can we help organizations take the the big idea and and turn it into something, that is meaningful to them and and frankly is actionable.
1: So what I would say is getting buy-in from your team and and then coming up with a list of projects and a list of different ways that you're going to empower the team and empower the company to take real action. And that can be in many forms, right? So like a company like mine, it could be looking at like all the contractors you have and saying, all right, do we have minority and women-owned businesses that we're working with? Could we work with more of them? Right? Um, are we hiring with a DNI lens, right? And what can we be doing in the future if we have a pool of employees to expand that pool? Are we limiting the way that we hire so that we insist that every single job has to have a college degree? That might limit our pool. Can we remove college degrees from our requirements to have a broader, more diverse pool of people? These are like little things, but they add up. And so I would say leading means listening. And so as a leader, ask your team, say to your team, what are ways that we can empower, engage and build sort of a coalition within your workplace to to say, all right, we're going to take on this issue, whether that is climate change, whether that is BLM, whether whatever, whether that's education, whatever that issue is, then create um, a working group around it and keep at it. Know that you're going to come up with a list of projects, and it might take you a year to accomplish half of them. It might take you five years to accomplish all of them. But if you stick with it, right, you're going to see impact. And if you have that vision for what a success look like and you get buy-in, these can be powerful things you do in your business.
2: So as you are going through this advocacy journey in an organization, are there times that... Uh, organizations should expect to hit a roadblock or to hit a a, a stalling point where they go, oh gosh, this isn't going to work. Where where you say, no, this is normal. This is a part of the journey. Don't give up. What does that look like?
1: Well, I mean, it it will happen usually immediately, right? Um, really? <laughs> yeah, well, what I'll say is, right, like, I mean, if you've done any, like, a- any work in a company, whether they're a big company or small company, there's going to be a group of people that are the ones that are involved in everything. And there's a group of people who aren't involved at all, right? And so, like, you're going to start, you're going to put a list, it's going to say who Who wants to work on this project? And you might just get the usual suspects, right? So then you have to, you know, voluntold people, right? Like get people like in there who may not be a part of it. And you say, hey, listen, this is part of your job. We've agreed as a community that we're going to do this community work and I need your help and support. And um, I think that engagement is going to happen. There are going to be roadblocks. There are going to be people. But I also think if you're the CEO of a company and you decide that this is something that is important and your team decides, you have to model that behavior and say, hey, even if 100% of the people aren't working on this, I've now heard the message that this is important and I'm going to like work on it no matter what. Yes.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. There, there's sort of two sides to the same coin there uh, at times, which is... Um, you know, people ask for something and you say back to them, we're doing this because it's what you asked. And sometimes they forget that part, you know, like I didn't make this up, but then sometimes the leader does make it up. They decide, you know, on behalf of the business, this is something that we need to be really into. Um, I've certainly lived both of those within shift. We, We have a very active and sort of activist CEO who has lots of visionary ideas and is very open to other people's notions about this, but helping people understand where it came from and why they're working on it. You've observed that uh, it's important to have core values, but that they don't necessarily appeal to everybody, which which I would say ultimately is is a good thing, right, at some point. But it leads me to this question. I don't know if you've ever been asked this before, but if if you if your job as a leader is listening and and you know you're you're open to learning and so forth, and people should have a point of view and you know it's like you said, don't ask me a question if you don't want to hear the answer what's the what's the toughest piece of feedback you've gotten in the last year or so not not that was like necessarily harsh as much as something that surprised you and or challenged you to do something with.
1: I mean, I will tell you the harshest feedback any leader can hear, I think is silence that like when you say, what do you think we should be doing? And no one says anything. That's a hard, that's hard feedback. Someone saying, you should be doing this or someone saying you shouldn't be doing this. That's actionable data, right? That silence where either people are tired or they're burned out or they just, you know, are not bought in that to me, to be honest, Jeff is the harshest feedback as a leader that I've ever had to deal with. And then you have to re go back and say, how do I get engagement? How do I get people to, to recommit and be a part of this? Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah. we have um, a guiding principle that we use in our internal work and often with clients, which is silence equals disagreement, uh, which is something that's been studied in an interesting way um, in all kinds of different ways. There's an allegory that I often reference because it was created by this professor that I I knew when I was at GW named Jerry Harvey. It's called the Abilene Paradox, and the very short version of this work is that this group of people drive 90 miles to Abilene to go to a restaurant that nobody wanted to eat at. And as they're (laughs) driving back the 90 miles, it comes up like, I hate that place. Why do we go there? And the answer is because everybody thought that everybody else wanted to. So no one said anything. So to your point, if I get silence, I, I need to go ask for something so that at, at worst, you know, I have information versus I I have none at all. I'm wondering if there's an extension of that into the the marketplace for organizations. Like how how should they be making sure that silence doesn't equal
1: disagreement? Well, and what I'll say is, to me, like lack of member engagement to me is that silence, right? So if you send out an email and none of your membership responds, or all of a sudden your members are supposed to pay dues and those dues start trickling down, right? You know that there is a problem, that people um, have an issue there. And so to me, that's how you can hear that. Is it that lack of engagement, whether it's through action or through dollars, allows you to know you got to do a little bit more work to both listen and to act.
2: Sometimes yeah. the silence, do you need to, um, maybe we're saying the same thing, Joe. Sometimes the silence is fear. Sometimes the silence is, it can be a lot of things. Do I need to become like detective gadget? Maybe I'm doing myself. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and try to figure out and go on a, a seek and find tour to figure out why the silence Before I begin to try to come up with a remediation plan.
1: Absolutely. Right. I think that is core is that when you hear that, you have to be like, all right, why? Why, as you just said, why are people not willing to speak? Is it because of the format? is it because they are worried about saying something in front of a coworker is it are they worried about like leadership or afraid to say something to leaders and don't feel like the leaders are going to act on that information right could be any of those things mm-hmm.
0: yeah it could be i just want to clarify so in order to find out should you be making it up in your head or asking people
1: So I'm a big believer in surveys, right? I think surveys are good. I think you can have anonymous surveys um, and put those out um, once a quarter, twice a year, once a year, whatever it is. And then I also think having supervisors or other employees check in or you can skip steps and you as a CEO talk to people a few steps sort of down in leadership I think you just have to ask questions and keep asking questions mm-hmm.
0: and that would be the same we're sort of going back and forth and I think totally appropriately between organizations as company entities and you know communities uh, when we're thinking about advocacy in in a slightly broader way. A couple of things I'd love to give you a platform for as we as we wrap up here is you know as you work with, Uh, organizations, cause groups, et cetera, what is it that they aren't doing that they should, and what are they doing that they should freaking stop?
1: Well, I think, um, as we've talked about, like asking these hard questions and testing and figuring out how they can engage better, they should be doing. Um, And then I will also say just doing the same thing they've always done and not you know, evaluating or looking at metrics is what they should stop. I, I think some people have just do the same thing because that's the way we've always done it and don't take the chance to reevaluate. And uh, to me, like looking at numbers and evaluating and having, as we've talked about these hard conversations is, is core to having a thriving organization or a thriving business.
0: Yeah. You know, there are so many maxims that get applied in business that make no sense. Like what you just said, I think is akin to if it ain't broke, don't fix it, which means that at best we should wait for it to break before we (laughs) fix it. And at worst denies the likelihood that something runs its course, wears out. And if we understand what that typical life cycle is, we should actually be getting ahead of it. As opposed to again waiting for the inevitable. So
1: Well, right. And what I'll say to that, right, is this I know nothing about cars. So unless that check engine light comes on, I have no idea whether it's broken or not. So sometimes you need people to do a diagnostic on your organization or your engine, right, to be able to tell you whether something is broken. I think as leaders, we often stay way up here and have no idea what is broken. Yes.
0: Well, great. Well, Joe Fold, thank you for being with us on Inevitable, talking us through a number of issues from a number of perspectives that should lead us to be more curious to have a clear point of view and to be not afraid to learn.
1: How about that? Well, well, Jeff, thank you. I'm gonna give two quick plugs before oh, we go. Please. One is, you know, I have a podcast, which I think if you all are interested, if anyone's interested in sort of the advocacy and organizational and political issues we talked about today, it's it's a fun ride. It is How to Win a Campaign, and you can listen to it and subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts, the How to Win a Campaign podcast. And then we also do training for groups and organizations on advocacy, as well as companies on advocacy. And we have an advocacy training that happens twice a year. You can go to T ecwadvocacy.com to check out our advocacy training. So thanks so much for having me Alan. Oh, you're
0: very welcome. I I have listened to the podcast. Joe brings the same low key energy to his (laughs) podcast that he brought to ours. So thank you again for being with us. And we'll look forward to our next conversation.
1: Yeah. Clarissa (laughs) and Jeff, thank you so much.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode and will continue to support our community of activators as a listener and an inquisitor by visiting our website at inevitablefutureofwork.com where you can get more content or listen to additional episodes. You can also submit for HR credit and submit a question for address on a later episode. That's inevitablefutureofwork.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at inevitablefutureofwork. We certainly encourage you to subscribe to take the guesswork out of making sure you have all of our latest episodes. And if you're so inclined, submitting a thoughtful review or referring us to a friend or colleague, all are greatly appreciated. More than anything, we don't take your support for granted. We know that, in fact, it's not inevitable. We want to continue to earn your support, and we look forward to hearing ways that we can do that. And before that, we hope that you are well and stay well, and we will talk to you soon.